Welcome to episode 44 of the Rich Roll Podcast with Dr. Joel Kahn. Hey everybody, Rich Roll here. Welcome back to the Rich Roll Podcast. Uh, episode 44 today, a couple uh, show notes before we get into the interview. Um, scheduling. On September 7th, I'm going to be at the Toronto Veg Fest. I went last year, it was a really good time, and they were kind enough to ask me back this year. So I'm going to be doing a keynote presentation uh, that Saturday, the 7th, I think it's at like 5.30 at night or something like that. And I believe I'm also doing an athlete panel with a couple other guys like John Pierre, who's a plant-based trainer, and James Wilkes, who's a former guest on this show. He's the MMA UFC fighter. We're going to talk about plant-based nutrition for the athlete, and uh, we're also going to talk about a documentary project that James is working on called Game Changers, which is pretty exciting. It's all about kind of eating plant-based and being uh, athletic, and it, it, it gets into all sorts of issues that come up and surround that, like issues of masculinity, what it means to be a man, and how we approach diet as men. So that should be pretty fascinating. <sighs> I'm hoping I can record that panel uh, and and put it up on the podcast. I'm going to have to see if they'll let me do that. But fingers crossed, hopefully they'll let me do something like that. If, you, if you're in the Toronto area or you want to learn more, go to festival.veg.ca. And it's all the information you need. On the 21st of September, I'm going to be doing another keynote in Tucson. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, you're in the Tucson area, go to healthyunetwork.org. Uh, plant-based nutrition. You want to learn more about plant-based nutrition? Julie and I are pretty excited. We just launched our complete, or I guess it's called the ultimate guide to plant-based nutrition uh, in partnership with Mind Body Green. It's a really comprehensive uh, video online course, three and a half hours of online video broken down into small bite-sized little videos that are five to 10 minutes each, all, all sort of divvied up uh, according to theme and section to address different subject matters. Basically every single thing that you need to make that transition to getting more plants into your diet. So whether you're just plant curious, you're eating the standard American diet, you want to learn more about how to eat this way and do it the right way, it's great. If you've been eating plant-based or vegan for a long time, still tons of great information uh, that you can glean from it. There's also an online uh, network forum where you can ask questions and Julie and I are inter interact with you. We've got recipes, we've got all sorts of downloadable tools. It's pretty cool. I'm really proud of the program. Uh, it's doing great. We're getting great feedback on it. So go to mindbodygreen.com uh, and you can check it out. It's right there on the homepage if you just scroll down. The other cool little product offering that I wanted to mention is my buddy Matt Frazier at No Meat Athlete, nomeatathlete.com. He's a great guy, fellow runner, fellow plant-based runner. He just did his first 100-mile ultra. Congrats, Matt. He just came out. He's got a series of these uh, downloadable PDF ebook courses called the roadmap series he did one for the marathon he did one for the half marathon and he just came out with one for triathlon it's called triathlon roadmap plant-based uh, guide to conquering your first triathlon so if you're interested in checking out triathlon you've never done one maybe you're intimidated you're not sure where to start how to train how to eat what to eat before 
your workout, after your workout, during your workout, and stay plant-based, then this guide is great. Um, you know, I've written a lot on this subject, obviously, and I just released my online course, but I've never done like a specific training plan for your first triathlon or like a meal plan that will take you like every day through how you prepare. And uh, it's been something on my list of things that I, that I thought would be great for me to do, but Matt beat me to it. His product's great. Uh, so I strongly urge you to go and check that out. Um, you can go to Matt, uh, nomeatathlete.com, but if you want to support this show, then go to richroll.com. My most recent blog post up uh, is all about this program and his other programs. And if you click through the hyperlinks to his program and end up purchasing it, we have a, an affiliate relationship. And so Matt will kick a few dollars our way. And that's a great way to support the podcast. It won't cost you anything extra on those products. It's the same price if you go to nomeatathlete.com. But if you if you click through from my site, from my blog post uh, to his site through those hyperlinks, uh, then uh, it helps support what we're doing here. And we love you for all the support that you're giving. Other ways to support the show, the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. We're all buying stuff on Amazon. So if and when you're going to buy something on Amazon, go to richroll.com on the blog page, podcast page, you see a little banner ad for Amazon, click that, it takes you to Amazon, get whatever you're going to get, like Finding Ultra, perhaps, in case you haven't read it. Uh, and uh, it won't cost you anything extra. Again, it's just an affiliate relationship, and Amazon will kick us a, three, a few pennies, helps keep the bandwidth flowing, and you're supporting the plant power movement, because this is a movement, Right. This is a movement that's picking up speed, picking up steam, and we want to keep it going. So thank you, everybody who's been doing that. We've gotten a lot of support from all you guys out there. This audience is blowing up, and uh, we love it. I'm so happy, proud of the show, and just really feels great to have an audience out there that's interested in what we're doing and is uh, responding positively to the message. Uh, what else? Well, you can also donate to the Rich Roll Podcast. There's a donate button on my site. You can throw us a few bucks on a one-time basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, and uh, that has been fantastic also. We've picked up some new equipment. We're building up a new studio that we're going to be broadcasting out of soon, and it's uh, all your support is allowing us to do all of that, and we're going to start videoing podcasts, and we're going to start eventually live streaming them and picking up the uh, the episode frequency up to twice a week. So thank you, thank you, thank you. On to today's guest, the wonderful and magnificent Dr. Joel Kahn. Who is Dr. Kahn? Well, he's an interpreventional cardiologist. In fact, I believe he's the first in the world to be certified as an interpreventional cardiologist. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that he is a typical Western medicine practitioner in cardiology, hence the term interventional. He puts stents in, he performs everything that you would expect a Western practicing cardiologist to do. But what distinguishes him is his strong bent and opinions when it comes to preventive medicine. He's a vegan himself and a strong proponent of a plant-based diet with respect to treating his patients and as a means to optimizing your health. And uh, this guy's no hippy-dippy. He's got 25 years of experience, and he's a really smart guy. He graduated summa cum laude from the University of Michigan's Intiflex program, which no longer exists, but 
what it was was essentially a way to immediately enter medical school right after high school. You go to University of Michigan right out of high school. You begin medical school right away. I think it was a six-year program. And when you graduate, you're a doctor. So it's sort of like fast-tracking doctors. And we get into talking a little bit about what that program was like and what motivated him to participate in it and uh, and all aspects of his practice. Um, everything from how he treats patients typically to his opinions on everything from GMOs to supplements to exercise to yoga to meditation and how he uh, interacts with his patients with respect to trying to get them to improve their diet. He's written like 130 articles. He's a very frequent collaborator. collaborator. Uh, I guess, what would you call that? He submits many articles. He's a contributor. That's the word I was looking for to mindbodygreen.com. Um, which is how I kind of, he kind of came across my radar. He's friends with Jason Waka, the CEO of Mind Body Green, and uh, Jason uh, threw up an Instagram picture of having brunch with him a couple of weeks ago back in New York, and said, "I'm here with the wonderful Dr. Joel Kahn, plant-based cardiologist." And I messaged Jason. I said, "That sounds like a guy I got to have on the podcast." And Jason got back to me and said, "Yeah, well, as a matter of fact, he's going to be in LA." So we hooked it up. Uh, the doctor was in downtown LA giving a talk at a conference and he was kind enough to take time out of his day and his conference for us to sit down and have a conversation in his hotel room with the mobile podcast studio. And it's a great conversation, uh, very illuminating, very interesting. Uh, his opinions are, are, um, fascinating actually. And what I love about him is he's very grounded and everything that he says all of his opinions are based on uh, the science and the research. And that's how he practices medicine. And we need more guys like this. We need more doctors, more cardiologists that are coming from his perspective when it comes to treating patients from a preventive. I always want to say preventative. It's preventive from a preventive perspective. So enjoy the interview. He's a great guy. Uh, this podcast has uh, allowed me to meet a lot of fascinating people, and this guy's right up there at the top of the list. So I'm really glad that I got a chance to meet him and to share his message with you guys so that you have some takeaways to take home and incorporate into your own life to not only maximize your health and your long-term wellness, but to unlock and unleash the best, most authentic version of yourself. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. 
I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you, I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Joel Kahn. Oh, uh, believe me, exciting to uh, be amongst you. Wow, don't say that. It's exciting to be with you. It's funny because uh, I think it, Jason Walkup from Mind Body Green posted an Instagram picture of, I guess you had brunch with him or dinner with him in, in New York. Yeah, and about he was two, like, two weeks ago. Yeah, the plant based the, the the plant based cardiologist, and I I emailed him. I was like, "That's that's a guy I need to talk to." And he <laughs> said, "Oh, he's going to be in L.A. You got to sit down with him." So here we are. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, driving a distance and meeting me here. Oh, my pleasure. So, what were you doing here in town? 
Um, I came in yesterday. There's a conference in this hotel of anti-aging physicians, a small group of uh, cardiologists amongst a larger crowd. And fortunately, I was invited to be faculty. So I gave a lecture today about what gluten can do to the heart and uh, kind of meshes with athletic performance. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I feel like uh, the gluten conversation doesn't get enough airtime amongst the kind of plant-based movement. I don't think it, it, it gets sort of the attention it deserves. Yeah. So what is your, what's your perspective on that? Well, I mean, I call it the Glugan movement, the gluten-free vegan movement, the Glugans. The Glugans. The Glugans. Yeah, the the Glugans. The road just keeps getting narrower and narrower, doesn't <laughs> well, it? I just wrote a little um, mind-body piece about uh, kosher, yes, no, uh, vegetarian, yes, no, vegan, yes, no, gluten, yes, no, now I got to do GMO, yes, no. Leaves me about air. Uh-huh. But, um, but I agree with you. Uh, so do I think gluten is real? Yeah, I do. Um, it's not genetically modified, but it's changes in wheat structure and weak amino acid content. And I think people are reacting to it. And, uh, mm-hmm. of course, we talk about the gut and immune diseases re- related to it. But it looks like the heart is taking a hit in some people, too. That's what I talked about today. Right. So, so in other words, there's – I mean, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm certainly no doctor, is that there's a kind of spectrum of sensitivity to it. Some people react very negatively to it. Some people don't seem to have a problem. I mean, is it something that everybody should avoid or just if you seem to have kind of a negative, adverse reaction to it? We actually had at this conference probably two of the world's experts right now. Uh, One is Bill Davis, uh, Wheat Belly cardiologist. Uh Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Pretty successful book, Mm -hmm. and he'd like to see – Woot, 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 he'd like to see woot booted, uh, wheat booted from the American scene, probably the world scene, he's that passionate about uh, its little effects, but um, the famous Harvard professor, Dr. Fasano, thinks that's way too radical, and he is the biochemical expert on gluten and what it does, it is too radical, I mean, there are people that it isn't affecting, or Mm -hmm. they're going to live a good life, but... um, for people that are not thriving or trying to achieve amazing athletic performance or do something to enhance their vitality, uh, talking about gluten is a topic. Right. And so do you think, is it is it inherently wheat, uh, like all kinds of wheat, or is it because nowadays wheat is so processed and the GMO wheat and the way wheat has changed and the way we use wheat? Yeah. Probably a couple of things. I mean, without question, the refining and processing has left us with a nutrient-poor, calorie-rich boost in blood sugar, high glycemic index food that's everywhere. I mean, it's it's sticky, it's pasty, it's the reason pizza dough could be thrown in the mm-hmm. air and caught. Um, and it's, uh, it's not just in food sources, it's in cosmetics, it's everywhere. Uh, and second is, and people may not know this that are listening, but the wheat that was, there's two statements about our, our uh, genetic breakup. Until about 10,000 years ago, people weren't eating wheat. And for most of us, that seems like a long time. But in the history of our genes, our genes change very slowly and our genes haven't necessarily been raised and adapted to process wheat. And specifically in the last 100 years, farmers trying to create a bigger crop and better output, uh, the changes in the wheat uh, have involved shorter wheat that it grows faster. It's actually not genetically modified, mm-hmm. but the genetic structure has changed naturally. It's a much more complex molecule, and people are making antibodies to it much more easily. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's on the radar screen for a lot of undiagnosed weakness, rash, uh, gastrointestinal, joint, brain fog, a whole variety of not mm-hmm. feeling your best. Right, and so essentially, gluten is a protein. Yes, and it, like you said, it's the 
it's used in so many things because it's actually the glue that makes everything stick together and bake mm-hmm. goods and in condiments, ketchup, soy sauce, all these things have gluten in it. And and my understanding, again, correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, it it uh, f- for a lot of people it produces inflammation, right? It, imp- it produces a immune system response. Yeah, you can measure antibodies if you have celiac disease. Your antibodies will clearly be abnormal. Mm-hmm. But what you mentioned, there's the tip of the iceberg. There are a group of people that um, maybe have some clinical problem that bloating, irritable bowel. They have no clue. They might have positive antibodies. And then there's some people that are entirely negative. Um, There's other substances in wheat. And I'm not an anti-wheatite, but uh, the science is evolving, and then you have to stay open-minded as it evolves. There's actually a fascinating uh, substance called amylopectin A, which lights up parts of your brain similar to morphine, similar Mm -hmm. to uh, addictive opiates and there may be the reason wheat has become so popular is that we get a high off of wheat uh, in the same manner that a drug addict gets a high. And you go back to it and have the next cracker. You can't eat just one, and it may be uh-huh. uh, more than just your uh, lust for obesity. And maybe, uh, you know, we may be preying upon our uh, population, and uh, you know, we're just sitting ducks for a lot of this stuff because uh-huh. we barely understand the science. Yeah, I, I'd be willing to bet everything I have that I have that. Uh, I would probably agree with you too after reading your book. Uh, so, um, and, and gluten, I mean, is, is gluten found in its highest concentration in wheat? Cause it's not just wheat, it's all different kinds of grains. There's only a few specific grains that, that are gluten free, but it's across many different types yeah, of and barley. It's rye, mm-hmm. uh, it's in spelt and, uh, some others. Um, and it, like you say, quinoa is awesome and buckwheat's awesome and amaranth is awesome, but so far, uh, Dunkin' Donuts hasn't come out with the quinoa, uh, right, the quinoa exactly. cooler. <laughs> Somebody told me recently, uh, when I wrote my book, I said, listen, if you think you might have a gluten sensitivity or you want to find out, the best thing to do is to clean your diet up first because if you're eating terribly, just removing gluten from your diet, you're probably going to feel better anyway because you're going to have to remove all this processed stuff. But clean your diet up, you know, make it clean first, and then start removing the gluten and pay attention because there, although there's a blood test for celiac disease, there's really no blood test for gluten sensitivity. But somebody told me recently that there now there is a test for that. Is yeah, it- there's actually, in fact, some of the companies that were at the meeting that I lectured at today have blood tests. You have to go to a special kind of functional medicine physician. You're going to pay mm-hmm. uh, probably not insurance covered. You might pay five to $800. But if you want to know, there's panels of multiple antibodies of all the components of wheat, and you could sort it out. And some people, that's real important. But it's like you say, you just eliminate it. I right. told my patients, take a glucation. Just get a glucation, off. I like glucation. that. Just take a glucation for three, four weeks. If your arthritis and psoriasis feels better, uh, you know, you're know you sensitive, and it's very easy to avoid it for three, four weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'd encourage everybody to, to try it. I certainly know that I feel better and function better and sleep better and perform better athletically and recover more quickly in between workouts when I remove gluten. Yeah, There's no I, question about yeah. it. So like I said, it's not that's may not be everybody's experience, but I think everybody should take it upon themselves to figure that out. Yeah. Athletes don't need more inflammation, ultra-athletes. Right. They're getting enough inflammation exactly. from lack of sleep and uh, excessive exercise. Mm-hmm. And if gluten is just a small component, get rid of it. You're, uh, you're going to probably improve your performance. Although it's a great theory. I tried to look for some science to it because I've talked about enhancing it athletic performance as a topic at this lecture series a mm-hmm. few months ago. And it, there's still science to be done in that area. 
in which 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 aspect of it? You uh, mean? Demonstrating in high fitness athletes that removing gluten in some measurement of uh, you know maximal oxygen consumption, right. mitochondrial function. That is proven science. It's a very strong theory, and mm-hmm. you know, all you need is one athlete to tell you I feel that much better, and there's many, as you know. Right, right for sure. But um, not yet that you can find a study that convinces Well, who's going to pay for that study? You um, know, yeah, somebody probably who's... Probably the, the buckwheat people. Though. Yeah, exactly. The buckwheat people have to get together. <laughs> if you're listening right the now, the aisle, uh, right away, log in <laughs> richroll.com, and let's fund a study. We, do a, we can do a Kickstarter on that, maybe. <laughs> that would be exciting. That'd be good. But you're not just the uh, the 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 gluten doctor. You're a plant based cardiologist. So I want to get into your background a little bit. We have so much to talk about. I want to let's talk about Michigan first. Okay. Born and born and raised in Michigan. Born and raised in suburbia, about uh, what forty minutes from where you are, Southfield. You were uh-huh. Gross Point. Uh, love Gross Point. Um, and only applied to one school. I mean, I didn't come from a family that bled. Maize and blue, so mm-hmm. uh, it just was the right school. I love and that you quote. You just quoted my book. Uh, uh, I like <laughs> that. <laughs> hey, it's uh, there's a, a few hundred thousand. Yeah, I know that's that, a uh, oft quoted right, theory. Right, so. right. But um, yeah, one school, and you know, it wasn't like nowadays where kids apply to twenty schools. Ann Arbor was the choice, and uh, what I was very lucky they had back then a program where you got into medical school at age mm-hmm. seventeen. The combined undergraduate medical school. So right. Into, into Flex, is that what it's called? Yeah, Into Flex. You got into it. Flex. And uh, integrated, flexible program. And um, you, you know, literally I, go from high school into medical school. You do. You, and it's you, that's a very difficult to get into prestigious program. It's so difficult because it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> oh, they, <laughs> they, they don't have it anymore? They, they were trying to create these uh, organic family practice uh, yoga kind of uh, doctor gurus. And it turned out mm-hmm. we all became neurosurgeons and cardiologists. And uh, you know, so, highly what's the highly specialized physicians, and they said, you know, what's the point of it? Right. I talked to uh, Sanjay Gupta, who was who did that program. Were you guys there around the same time? No, he's significantly younger than me, about he's, ten years younger mm-hmm. than me. And another friend of mine, uh, Compton Ram Bada, who's been kind of a nutritional guru to me. Okay. He ended up. Uh, I think he he ended up not seeing it all the way through. I can't remember what his story is, but he was telling me some great stories about what it was like to be part of that program. Sounds pretty intense. Um, you know, it was like uh, the NASA program at the beginning. We got so much attention. There were 50 of us. The regular class was mm-hmm. two, 225, and they just uh, surrounded us with love and support. And I loved it. It was perfect program for me. So there were a lot of people took a year off to go find themselves or take more liberal arts programming, and that was encouraged, but... Uh, I knew what I wanted to do, and it just was a perfect program. Right. That's great. Yeah. I mean, like you said, uh, my family does bleed maize and blue. My mom went to University of Michigan. My dad went to law school there. My cousin Bill, uh, who now lives in the Middle East, <clears throat> he was a, he was editor of the Michigan Daily, and then he was an editor at the Wall Street Journal, and now he works for a publication and lives in, in Abu Dhabi. But uh, And then uh, all sorts of cousins. I have lots of cousins that are from Grand Rapids. And uh, my parents, and they just sold it last year, but they had a little house on Lake Michigan up by mm. Glen Arbor near Sleeping Bear Dune, if you know that area. Sure, so I love it up there. Yeah. It's always fun to bring people from California up there because it's so beautiful and you just wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't occur to you living out here that that would be a great place to spend your vacation in the summertime, but it's, it's, it's beautiful and amazing up there. Got, I love it. We've got wineries up there. Uh-huh. We've got beautiful fishing. You're right. Great, great for training too. Great for <laughs> training for Ultraman. I spent many hours on the, on the road and up there training. So 
I love it. And then, so you stayed and then did you immediately go into private practice or what happened when you graduated? No, I, I, um, very brief biography finished Ann Arbor, stayed in Ann Arbor for internal medicine residency. It was during that period that I became a full, I came out of the closet as a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. I, uh, basically I grew up keeping kosher. So there were foods that I ate and foods that I didn't eat. And when I went to Ann Arbor, I just found that hanging around Raja Rani, the uh, Indian restaurant in Ann Arbor and, mm-hmm. uh, um, some of the other places uh, back in those early and mid-80s, it was just easier being vegetarian. It made my religious restrictions uh, uh, easy to live with. But it wasn't an ethical vegan or vegetarian. It wasn't an environmental one. It just was simply uh, the, the quickest meal and the quickest mm-hmm. grab-and-go. It wasn't even health-oriented. It was, it was convenience-oriented. Yeah, it wasn't then. So I uh, finished in Ann Arbor, and in 1986, I moved to Dallas, Texas. I was married at the time, and still am, gratefully, to the same wonderful woman who's a nurse. And uh, spent three years in uh, the barbecue kingdom of the world of Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. But uh, another small but transformative uh, thing, I trained to be a cardiologist there, is I took a vacation to Aspen. And it was 1987, and that's the year that John Robbins' book, Diet for a New America, came out. Mm-hmm. And I have some person to thank that I don't know their name, that as I was leaving town to fly to uh, Colorado, gave me a copy of that book, knew that I had been eating vegetarian-style uh, in Dallas, and sitting out there in the maroon bells looking at the sky, having a few days off of what was a pretty rigorous few years in cardiology training, read for the first time any kind of logical argument why the world and animal rights and health would all be enhanced by vegetarianism. And really, I was 90% of the way there. I'd go home and have chicken at my mother's on a Friday night. But that, mm-hmm. all, that all stopped. And uh, whoever you are out there, if you're listening, thank you very much for lending me that book. It was uh-huh. very transformative in my life. But there... Uh, John did a great job. It's a classic book, but there still was a dearth of medical evidence. And I don't right. Like, what year was this? That was eighty-seven. Mm-hmm. So I, I finished in Dallas. Wonderful period of training. Went to Kansas City for a year. Um, did more training in angioplasty. I'm a stent guy. I put in balloons mm-hmm. and stents. Um, I'd rather not. I'd rather not have plaque. I actually um, own the trademark on a little term: prevent, not stent. Because mm-hmm. I saw that on your website. I'm a stenter, but. And anyways, 1990, I uh, returned to Michigan and began private practice in Ann Arbor, actually, for a few years. But that was a year, a very, very important study by Dr. Dean Ornish in California. The Lifestyle Heart Trial came out, which really was the first scientific blow you out of the water. I was, I was like fertile ground. I mean, give me science that says the way I'm eating and my family is being raised is not only uh, a logical and environmentally correct decision, but make a jive with my practice. And here was some of the most exciting data that you could reverse heart blockage by... Uh, using broccoli and beans and rice and uh, you know plant-based eating, along with the rest of Dean's program, which was stress reduction and stretching mm-hmm. and socialization and all, and uh, it just did it for me. I mean, I just became excited that we need to incorporate this into practice. But that was the one guy in the state of Michigan probably right. that really said, you know, this isn't just another random study. This thing spoke to me, so got excited right. about it all. And so, and you you made those changes in your personal life at that time too about the way that you were eating. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. by then the, my experience had gotten us. Uh, we were a vegetarian family. Never really pushed it on the kids because I had three growing kids at the time, and still do. It's just they're very grown. Um, but it was around that period that we started dabbling with a little raw and some vegan meals, and uh, kind of going towards that route. It took a few more years till mm-hmm. you know, I don't love labels, but till we would say we were totally a plant based family, and found the work of Caldwell Esselstyn and some others that. Again, it was interesting to jive what we were doing personally, what we were doing in our family, and mm-hmm. then 
see the medical support for it all and uh, have never stopped. And, uh, right. And so at the time where you also sort of, you so you had a, you're, you're, you had a private practice, and you, were you also working at a hospital at the time? Or Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I settled back uh, from 1993 to now. I've settled back in suburban Detroit and Despite all my siblings moving away, everybody now lives a mile apart. My mother lives uh-huh. a mile away, and uh, we're not exactly the Kennedy uh, <laughs> enclave, uh, uh, but uh, geographically, we're all close. And uh, yeah, stayed since. And you know, we all know that some of Detroit is great, and some of Detroit is uh, in the news and uh, a bit struggling. But have stayed, and it's been a wonderful mm-hmm. community for every reason. And it's increasingly a wonderful health-oriented community. We have really good stuff going on. Right. Well, I would imagine that. Um over the next 10 to 15 years, it's going to see, I mean, you know, it's sort of like when Soho in New York was just factories and warehouses and then the artists come in because it's cheap. And then there's a sort of cultural renaissance that takes place. And then, you know, that begins to gentrify the neighborhood. I mean, right now in Detroit, I mean, it's the very early stages of that, but I would predict, you know, 10, 15 years from now that it's going to be kind of amazing there if they can get some certain things straightened out. Yeah. I mean, they get the city economics and and they will, but um, like one of our best and most uh, amazing resources, and you may remember, is is the Detroit Eastern Market. It's Mm -hmm. the oldest family uh, farmer's market in the country. It goes back 1800s and it's this gigantic Saturday explosion of... right. Our farmers bring in produce and draw forty, fifty thousand people, and just I love the mix from all the neighborhoods, from the city, young, old, people drive up in Cadillacs, people drive up uh, and you know broken cars, but it's where the city, <laughs> yeah, city gets together, and there's people playing saxophone <clears throat> and mm-hmm. raw juice places and smoothie places, and you know it's not a, a vegan haven. Uh, there's there's plenty of meats to buy, but um, that's produce city. That's where you walk out with your kale uh, stacked to the top of your car. Right. I love it. Yeah, I was just in um, Pennsylvania. I spoke at the Vegetarian Summerfest okay. out there, and I met a family uh, that lives in Gross Point, and they were telling me the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, so that's pretty cool. Um, but just uh, the, the reason that I was asking was, you know, just sort of reflecting on Dr. Esselstyn's experience of kind of trying to um, impose this preventative or preventive protocol on his patients and meeting that kind of resistance that ultimately led to him, you know, sort of being, being dismissed from the Cleveland Clinic. I mean, you know, were you experiencing that kind of resistance early on when you were proposing the idea of treating people in a different way other than just let's immediately cut them open? Well, it actually, yes, and it still exists. I had actually went through a job change recently that was in part due to you talk about cabbage too much, meaning the kind that comes out mm-hmm. of the ground and not cabbage, which is the acronym for bypass surgery and opening your chest. You need, you, know, you need to make your conversation in the public more about heart surgery than about coleslaw and juicing. Right. And that's actually just in the last 12 months. So we still got an uphill battle. Yeah. Well, it's still a business, and that's yeah. how the business makes money and profits. Yeah. And- but, yeah, there was. Um, really, people left me to myself. I, I, you know, it was so odd – and I'm not praising myself, but it's just what everybody's heard. And uh, it was so odd for a physician to be speaking about nutrition at every public forum that I could grab. And um, I wasn't blasted too much for it because they didn't have the, in general, the funded knowledge to really counter anything that I was saying. And I, mm-hmm. I've always tried to stay grounded in science when it's available. So mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm also working on a book that'll be published in uh, February. Oh wow, that's uh, great! A kind of organic holistic cardiology approach. Um, and there's so much out there that's grounded in science. Uh, nutrition is certainly the strongest component of it. Right. But, um, you know, you can't take too many pot shots when you're when you're still uh, basing it on science. So I don't have a chapter on colonics. Sorry, right. <laughs> you're trying to keep it <laughs> sort of accessible. No, no sham colonics that I can talk about have been done to you know talk about that approach to heart disease. But so much else uh, is so. The food, the food talk, food is medicine, um, food is poison uh, conversation has been very helpful to my patients and it really well received, I'd say, in the community. Mm-hmm. But it's shock. It's still shocking. And it's the first time I gave a talk five days ago to a group of cardiac rehabilitation patients, patients who have been through recent bypass, heart attacks and such, about 100 of them. And I gave just a standard talk that for me is just, uh, you know, day, day in and day out what I think is common knowledge. And I mean, it just blows people out of the water when you show them eat a Big Mac and let's talk about your arteries being sick for five hours and Mm -hmm. ways that can be tested. And it just, uh, they're just blown away that, boy, I really got to reevaluate, which is why I keep going because I love giving that message. Well, the power of, you know, marketing is palpable. And I talk about this all the time. But when we've been told, you know, essentially since birth, that, you know, milk does a body good or, you know, eat a steak for, you know, for your protein. And and those messages are reinforced on a daily basis, uh, you know, f- funded by deep pockets and lobbying groups that have a vested interest in having you continue to believe that a certain way of eating is in your best interest. It's incredibly difficult to overcome, to overcome that and to combat that. I was just, I did, uh, I was in Death Valley, um, couple weeks ago where I, I crewed Dean Carnazes in this race called Badwater. It was this crazy ultra running race across the Death Valley. And the award ceremony the following day was in a high school gymnasium. And hanging on the wall in the gym were these huge posters of really fit looking high school students or maybe, you know, guys in their, you know, early 20s with the milk mustache, you know, sitting yeah. at the bench press saying, yeah. you know, and, and so, you know, saying got milk or, you know, milk, you know, drink milk to make, I don't know exactly what it said, but it had some slogan on it. It's the chocolate it. milk. The, the chocolate yeah. And the milk chocolate milk as, as the milk. ultimate recovery milk. drink, which don't even get me started on that. But you know, there's, so there's, there are high school students that are filtering in and out of that gymnasium on a daily basis over the period of four years. And even if they're just look, seeing that out of the corner of their eye every single day, that gets reinforced. And so when you come to somebody and say, actually, maybe we should rethink this, you are combating like, you know, years and years and years of, of indoctrination into a different way of thinking. So it's a, it's a huge uphill battle. I agree. And, you know, from my perspective, the biggest disappointment has been the hospitals because they could stand up and say, mm-hmm. we've got a fund of knowledge. We have the, 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 the database of real science and what food does to the body is still incomplete, but it's still pretty strong. So, for example, if you don't mind... Um, 19, 1997, one of the most famous studies out there is a cardiologist, Robert Vogel, did a study, eat a Big Mac, actually take that back, eat an Egg McMuffin for breakfast or eat a bowl of oatmeal made with nonfat milk. So it was completely low-fat mm-hmm. breakfast. And he did a test of artery function, You just kind of a blood pressure cuff test, but a very valid test. And for five hours after Egg McMuffin, your artery function can be measured and becomes worse and worse and worse. And by about five hours, it starts to recover you can go have lunch somewhere and repeat the and experience. And repeat it, yeah. And likely people are walking around 12 to 15 hours of the 24-hour day with outside insults on their arteries, and that's 
start of the beginnings of atherosclerosis, heart disease, my field. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Egg McMuffin, that study's been repeated all over uh, the world in various uh, labs in humans. If you add hash browns, it's just worse. So, uh, just just a week ago, this is the sad part of the story. I'm not talking about 1987. I walked into a cardiology conference at one of the major hospitals in Detroit. I'm on staff at. And what is the breakfast du jour for the trainees that should be learning about nutrition? It was first time I've ever seen it. Egg McMuffins everywhere. <laughs> and, and honestly, I, I blew my gasket. Um, I just couldn't believe it because, it, you know, I pick other foods. But don't pick a food that's been studied that uh-huh. you can back with science and should be on the banned list just like cigarettes and sitting on your butt so long in the hospital. And here we are. It, the message is so wrong. I, I actually got chastised because I put a picture of it on Facebook and the – Mm-hmm. I won't say who, but sort of the top dog in the hospital called me in and said, you know, that's not good for press. You're speaking well. out of school, Joel. Yes, come, on. come on, line up, be a gosling. And, you know, I'm 54 years old. I can't stand in line anymore with the other ducklings. It's time to scream and say, this is just wrong. It's yeah. insane. <clears throat> it, is, mm-hmm. it is just, uh, you know, it's an opportunity. Hospitals don't have to be the prime example, but they should be an amazing example where people learn about, you know, single ingredients, foods, whole foods, of course, plant-based options and the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I get emails all the time from people telling me stories, and a consistent theme is, you know, me or my friend or my loved one just had open-heart surgery or some kind of surgical procedure, and then they're in the hospital overnight, and the next day they bring them this meal that's just, you know, completely at odds with, it's you know, it's why they were there in the first place. So why can't we start with the hospitals? I mean, what what is the... Is it just because these food contracts are so huge and there's so much money at stake? I and mean, why can't we reform what's being fed to patients in the hospital? Well, I think there is an economic issue. Uh, a lot of places have to feed a patient three times a day for about $8 a day. But mm-hmm. we all know you could make better choices than uh, the sausage, egg, cheese, breakfast at a hospital. And I think it's still a lack of knowledge. Uh, mm-hmm. That's protein. That's from good animals. And that's strengthening our patients in their post-surgical recovery. I actually think based on this data, Dr. Volga and others, you probably are transiently making people have lower immune responses, which isn't good for infection, probably are affecting their arteries. I can't prove it because nobody's ever looked at what's affected these kind of meals on hospital patients, but they're already somewhat depressed to begin with. So right. uh, such simple steps I think would make a big inroad. Mm-hmm. And the, the real pressure is I think would actually save hospitalizations and uh, cut down time and get people out, which is uh, all that hospitals want to see done right. if done in a quality way. But you know, you'll go through millions of dollars of various uh, efficiency pathways and purchasing pathways, but change the breakfast uh, seems just so ludicrous. Nobody even approaches it, and nobody's right. pitching it. I, uh, I've actually went around and shopped all the hospitals in my area and made proposals. Let's put this program in and gain notoriety, mm-hmm. and let's be the first uh, dairy-free hospital system in the world or something. And it's just the time's not right, or we're not speaking right. loud enough. The, the the amount of goodwill and press that they would get from that though seems to supersede whatever fallout they would oh, have. I, you know? I understand marketing, at least I think yeah. I do, and I think they would grab national and international attention. Oh, yeah. And uh you know, you got a, a wonderful guy in Oakland, physician who runs a farmers market in the hospital, which has now become not that uncommon, but the press that he got for bringing fresh fruits and vegetables on a Thursday morning to the hospital staff and patient base was amazing. Time yeah, everyone's going to want to go to that hospital. Right. Just it's a great, great mm-hmm. statement. We're about, you know, we're about health and uh, something more radical would uh, be even more meaningful and uh, probably economically viable for yeah. the hospital. But there's so many moving parts. I mean, I, I had, uh, I, I interviewed um, the administrators at uh, PS244 
public school in Queens. They were the first public school to institute a vegetarian school lunch, and they explained, you know, kind of the challenges and how difficult it was. But I mean, they got national press. I mean, it was on it was on everything from CNN to the morning news and all that kind of stuff. And they've just steamrolled it into like quite a movement that has a lot of momentum right now, and hopefully will be spilling over and into, you know, many other schools. It would be great to see the same in the hospital system. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, it. especially when certain, I mean, there are certain hospitals that still have McDonald's in them, right? Yeah, I, well, think, I mean, sort of, like, <laughs> sort of like the Cleveland Clinic, the number one rated cardiac program in the world has a McDonald's in the lab. Do they really? I didn't oh, know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, there's 27 McDonald's in hospitals in the United States, uh-huh. but there's twice as many Wendy's and you can go down the list. So right. It still remains uh Appalling. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, uh, what can you say? 24 ounce sugar sweetened soda, french fries, and a burger with bacon and cheese, and that goes up to a patient's room. That's, if anybody listening to this doesn't realize how dramatically insane that is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it really yeah, is uh, remarkable. Remarkable. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most, mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Getting back to uh, Dean Ornish and Dr. Esselstyn and kind of, you know, the earlier pioneers in this movement and and kind of the work that you're doing and, and trying to get out there and spread this message, one of the consistent sort of themes that you hear, you know, I don't know if it's from, if it's fair to say from the medical community, but there's this idea that, well, you can tell people to eat that way, but you know, they're not going to, they're not going to do it. So why bother? You know, why, why don't you just tell them, tell them to do something that's a little bit more accessible to them. Like there's this, still this idea that it's just so radical or so difficult to change your, your eating habits or your lifestyle to 
get on par with what's going to be in your best long-term health interest? I mean, is that something that you encounter? Well, I think there's, there's that challenge. Um, you know, I always admire people who've been in a crisis and come out of it transforming themselves one way or another. And of course, uh, you're, you're one of those. Um, I haven't had, you know, a giant health challenge in my health in life mm -hmm. or, or my wife's or my children, thank God. Um, and, you know, it's that thing about, a, I think, a frog in warm water, boiling water. You know, they'll, they'll stay in the water until they die if you turn the temperature up slowly. Mm -hmm. I mean, people just, uh, they aren't ready to make change. Uh, and they're waiting for, you know, the big call, whether it's the heart attack, the stroke, the cancer of the colon or something. And, and then maybe they'll get the light. So I think part of it is um, uh, people aren't willing to make the change. And I think the other part is, and we all know the society um, that we've got, the fast food society, it's difficult to search out the healthy options. And it's, mm -hmm. you're just, you know, what uh, Kelly Burnell calls our toxic environment, uh, Dr. Burnell from Yale. I mean, we all know it. You drive up and down any major street in America. So, I mean, we're all seeing the slow signs of change and mm -hmm. the uh, better health options and the better health markets and the, the farmers' markets. Um, and I think it's not going to happen overnight uh, unless no. it's legislated, and it's not going to be legislated. But I really, again, I, I think I call upon anybody here who works in a hospital to take the banner and run with it. And uh, let's, uh, we should, as a hospital-based community, make the changes because we have more knowledge than anybody and we have a captured in, uh, kind of population. And, and they're not going to leave if they're sick just because we start putting uh, black beans in their uh, brownies or something. <laughs> right. uh, as, as some do. Some do. I mean, uh -huh. I'm not without hope. I do see things like that occurring on some of the hospital menus, but... I'm I'm optimistic, actually. I mean, I, I think that there really is, you know, we're, we are having a moment right now, you know, and I think that there is a lot of energy and a, and a lot of support for, um, you know, the kind of work that you're doing and the kind of message that, you know, us and many others are, are putting out there and people are paying attention and listening and taking greater responsibility for their health. And my approach is always like, you know, this is your life. Like, take responsibility for it. Don't abdicate that to somebody else. And you have more control over how you feel and how your body is going to perform and function than 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 you think, or maybe you've been led to believe. So, coming at it from an empowerment perspective, you know, I think gets people excited. And I think there's, you know, like you just wrote this piece for Mind Body Green. It was about mindfulness in your eating, and I want to talk about that in a little bit. But you relate you relate an anecdote of having been in um, LaGuardia Airport and uh, being surprised to find so many vegan options and and I had that exact same experience a couple of weeks ago. Julie and I were flying back from New York, and a funny thing happened. Like we were getting ready to leave. We were in Manhattan. We we're getting ready to leave for the airport, and we're thinking we got to get some food for this flight. Like what are we going to do? We're going to go to the airport. There's not going to be anything. So. I walked like eight blocks up to Chelsea Market and I went to Beyond Sushi and I dropped like 40 bucks on like this amazing vegan sushi. It's a great vegan sushi restaurant. They make really awesome stuff. And I, I just loaded up on all this stuff that we could bring on the plane and uh, came back to the apartment where we were staying. We we're packing up and it was in um, – we were cleaning out the garbage of our friend's place where we were staying and I accidentally threw all the sushi away. I thought it was like garbage in my haste to get out of there. And it wasn't until we were in the cab on the way over. And I, I realized that I'd thrown out our whole lunch. And we were going to the airport. And we're going to be on a flight all the way to L.A. without any food. Oh, Julie's like, how could you do that? How could you do that? And then we're yeah. in the Delta terminal. 
and we happen upon um I can't remember the name of the the yeah. vendor um right. but um, they had more than you could imagine an airport having in terms of options, everything from an incredible salad bar to all these pre-prepared meals and like nuts and they had smoothies and like, I was like shocked. They even have vegan sushi. Yeah, they did. That's right. They did. Yeah. So we did. We, we, we restocked. I did double down again. But when I see something like that, you know, I'm thinking that, well, things are really changing. I mean, I don't know how many people are coming in and loading up like we are, but The simple fact that these options are available in a, in a place that's historically the most difficult to find healthy options is is you know that that kind of thing makes me feel optimistic. No, I'm joining in on that one. So uh, can't stop pushing because there's so much to do. Right. <clears throat> so when you were t- tell me a little bit about what your experience was when you were in medical school in terms of education about nutrition and maybe you know if you're familiar with what it's like now or how yeah. it could be different. Well, I actually do not, and I'm not slamming it. I don't remember mm-hmm. a nutrition lecture, and I don't think there was one. Um, I've read recently, I think it's true, that about the time I was in med school 30 years ago, there were 24% of med schools in America had a six-week nutrition program. Mm-hmm. Here we are 30 years later, we're all enlightened. It's 29% of medical schools in America. It's wow. actually 1% less than 30 years ago, or some number similar to that. It was down a bit, 24%, 23%. So I don't remember any conversation on the topic and to this day, largely, I mean, I've been to so many hospital grand rounds and hospital presentations, some of which are required, some of which I just, you know, drop in to learn something new. Uh, the number that have been on nutrition, uh, let alone, God forbid, something in the green world are uh, pretty close to zero. So, I mean, I'm entirely self-trained because there really mm-hmm. is no particular good option other than that. And it's also relatable, though, because I can tell my patients. I mean, I take out my prescription pad and I give them homework that, you know, you have to read this book and watch this. Oh, you actually um, write that on a, prescription, on a prescription pad? pad oh, that's great. I love actually, that. Actually, usually write my body green or something. I mean, uh-huh. in addition, you know, you need to start doing this. That's empowerment. You you put in some effort because I'm not going to see you for three months. We'll talk about your homework when you come back. And uh, I found that uh, – Pretty responsive. People actually, mm-hmm. I can't believe it when they come back and they actually read a book. Right. Well, I mean, that goes I, back to the empowerment thing, I think, yeah. too. I, I do. Yeah. But uh, it's still pretty uh, abysmal out there in the medical school training world, which is there There are options where a medical student or a young doctor can go outside of formal training and get excellent exposure now, whether a video, mm-hmm. a video series, live courses, kind of like the course I'm at today. But um but you have to elect for that, right? Like it's, yes. you know, you have to really, you have to search it out and you have to be motivated. Right, right. And, uh, you know, it again, I'm not cynical, but a lot of it revolves around re, uh, payment and such. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there isn't any special payment at this point for spending any time on nutritional counseling with patients or becoming more educated yourself to offer it. So either you get the bug and have the passion or all the mind-body nutrition field will uh, wait to the mm-hmm. day that we finally become a little more enlightened and... Uh, Dean Ornish waited 20 years to get his program, you know, certified by Medicare, although there's still very few of them. So mm-hmm. um, I like puns. So I call it the day that we have reimbursement, where we pay for yeah. all, all kind of activities. I like that. That's right. When we can pay to teach somebody to juice or get paid to teach somebody to uh, shop a grocery store and such other than cash, which is still a valid way to try and approach patients yeah. and all that. But until we have that, uh, even, you know, there are good scientific-based studies on meditation and uh, mm-hmm. and yoga and cardiac patients, but there's no ohm in the reimbursement. So. No, no ohm in reimbursement. <laughs> oh. Well, the irony is so 
you know, palpable. I mean, Hippocrates said it in 640 BC, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. It's like a, it's this, you know, it is, it should be a foundation of medical education. And yet here we are, and it's still such a struggle to produce doctors who are, I'm not maligning doctors by any stretch of the imagination. They want to do right. They're, they're, you know, people go to medical school so they can help people. I mean, their their hearts are in the right place, of course. Um, But it just seems like there could be so many improvements made that would be not that difficult to implement. But then again, maybe I'm naive. I don't think you are. You know, um, my my scope on it um, is that a lot of this came out of the introduction 80 years ago, 70 years ago of antibiotics and some of the early surgeries where you had one problem, mm-hmm. you had one quick fix, and uh, you, you could create a cure of pneumonia with penicillin and take out an appendix for appendicitis. But we're so overwhelmed now by these chronic diseases of obesity slash diabetes slash high blood pressure slash you know, joints falling apart slash heart disease slash heart failure. They're very complex. Uh, there's no single solution to them. And it's not a pill and it's not, you know, a surgery. And it is largely lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that uh, reorientation, that lifestyle medicine is a specialty. It actually, it should be the basis of all our approach. Uh, but for these chronic diseases, if we're not at least addressing what is your lifestyle and uh, have mm-hmm. resources uh, about trying to uh, educate and motivate and uh, empower them to recognize the power of lifestyle change. We are just drowning in these chronic diseases. Right. How does it work? Can you paint a picture of, of kind of how it works on a day-to-day basis in terms of the pharmaceutical companies and the reps that pay the visits to the doctors and say, hey, we have this new thing? And, you know, you, you sort of hear, you know, anecdotally about, you know, the, the – I don't know if it's pressure, but just, you know, how doctors are incentivized to prescribe and how they can sort of benefit financially or professionally from kind of getting in in bed with these companies. I mean, is that conspiracy theory or is there some truth to that? I mean, what is that really like as, you know, being a practicing doctor? Well, a couple comments, you know, not unprepared. It has changed compared to 20 years ago, 20 years ago where you you could get Baseball tickets, you could get theater tickets, you mm-hmm. could occasionally get a trip, including your spouse, to uh, a resort where there might be a half-day conference, and uh, it was uh, you know some educational content and a whole lot of pleasure. You could go out for an expensive meal. A lot of that is regulated now. Some mm-hmm. hospitals and some universities don't allow any of that, um, even under the new restricted guidelines. They just don't permit a medical student or a staff doctor to go out uh, for any kind of those programs. Most still permit it. So it, it is much more regulated. But the system does exist. Um, a generic drug that might be as good as a name brand drug will never have that kind of uh, educational mm-hmm. pitch. So, the bottom line: every week I interact with pharmaceutical reps that are in my office in the hospital. Um, pressure, um, you know, it's pretty clear to me that they're trying to do a good job, but their job includes uh, reporting to their manager their sales, right. and some are very persistent, some are a little meeker and milder, uh, and all. Um, but it does drive the system to use the newest and the latest and the most expensive without necessarily a fair presentation of the whole big picture. Um, I give pharmaceutical talks for agents that I feel are very good and very useful. I, I was saying today I'm an integrative cardiologist, but I don't know when I do the old style, am I a extroverted or segregated? Mm-hmm. I don't know a term for the uh, – I still practice a lot of traditional cardiology and traditional medicine. and. 
they're, they're much more regulated. I mean, I cannot say a word anymore that isn't in line with what the FDA has in the package insert. I mean, I am not there to sell a drug. I am there to give a medical lecture in tune with what they have to approve. Mm-hmm. But it is a system that has no balance. There's, there isn't a nutritional rep that we don't mm-hmm. yet have a turmeric rep who's coming and talking the about the, rep. <laughs> the anti-inflammatory powers this week. Come on, turmeric people. Come you on. get your stuff together. I know. I think the turmeric growers should uh, get some reps out there. And like there was an article this week that turmeric was as effective as Prozac for depression. Well, I also suspect there's a whole lot less side effects to uh, mm-hmm. adding some turmeric in your life than uh, Prozac. But uh, we're not going to see anybody knocking on the door uh, in any of the lifestyle modalities. And uh, until it's a grand rounds topic for physicians, until it's in the journals, which there's mm-hmm. little shreds, just like you find good food at the airport. I will on occasion uh, find some medical literature, uh, but it's difficult to fund the science. So you're not right. going to change all systems. Though. Um, a few pioneers like Ornish and all persist 20 years to get a scientifically proven program finally mm-hmm. reimbursed uh, by the government, uh, which his program, as I said, is one of the th- two that are. Right. Lifestyle change program. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you know Dr. Michael Greger? Oh, yeah. I love yeah. Michael. He's I, the best. He's I, awesome, He's the right? best. I mean, and if anybody's listening, that's nutritionfacts.org. Right. And he has taught me so much. I've had the pleasure of lecturing him a couple mm-hmm. times now when we email. Um, but that combination of his wry humor, dry humor, yeah. <laughs> and his profound knowledge and, um, you know, He's able to root out those studies. Uh, He finds, you know, he'll find the needle in the haystack and he makes those videos and presents them in a way that anybody can watch and understand and and kind of get where he's coming from. And Uh, it's nowhere near the quality of your How to Become a Vegan video series that you've done with your wife. But (laughs) that's right. Because, of course, nothing is. We can't get Dr. Gregor in front of the camera yet to do cooking classes and blending classes and juicing classes. But. The nutritional value of anybody that signs on for those free daily emails. And, oh, uh, yeah, everybody needs to do crack that. Crack me up. Um, yeah, the survival of the firmest was his most recent edition mm-hmm. of my lexicon, which was a, a report that's well known that men with erectile dysfunction have both a much higher risk of heart disease, even if they don't know it, because an artery is an artery. And right. A erectile artery just happens to be smaller than a heart artery. It just starts to fail quicker. Um, and uh, men with erectile dysfunction also have a shortened lifespan is increasing the data. So the point is if you have that problem, don't hide it. Get in and see a doctor, know your cholesterol, know your blood pressure, change your lifestyle, whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, he coined that term, that's survival of the firmest. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> He's great. I had him on the show, and then I interviewed him again, and I had a hard drive crash. I'm trying to retrieve the interview. I lost it. So I'm, hopefully I'll get that up and out soon for people because I said, oh, I'm interviewing him again. And then people are like, why haven't, why haven't you put that up yet? So anyway, I'm working on it. Um, but, uh, to kind of, um, root it back to your, to your practice. So you start, uh, you know, you start treating your patients in a more integrative way. What are some of the results that you begin to see just for somebody who's listening to this, who's kind of new to this idea of, plant-based nutrition or the nexus between food and health and particularly heart health. Can you attest to that a little bit? Yeah. So my life uh, in cardiology still is in what we call an insurance-based model. My patients have Blue Cross and Medicare and Aetna and whatever it is. And um, although, you know, I'm not timed by Big Brother, uh, my appointments are 15 minutes apart and, Mm -hmm. you know, my office schedule is pretty full and 
Um, you have a couple uh, offices, right? Yeah, locations yeah. scattered across the city. But yeah, the style of practice is very similar to what most cardiologists are. There are a few physicians and very few cardiologists that have declined insurance and are going completely on a cash basis. I think we're going to see that more and more in the next five years, but it hasn't happened yet. So what I strive to do is quality time in 15 minutes, and that includes a few extra questions. My notes actually have what you have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner in mm-hmm. the last 24 hours, and it's always instructive to get a little uh, bite of that. A um, little bit about sleep. Uh, we could talk about that in a minute, but the seven hours or more a night of sleep has increasingly coming out as a really important marker of health and uh, you do rob yourself and you know people that are training hard and working hard trying mm-hmm. getting seven hours a night of sleep can be pretty challenging um you know a little bit about stress where you are in life what's what's uh what's got you upset and what's going on in your family your job your kids and there's always something but you know some people have good coping skills and not so get through some of that i mean what's your social connection are you belong to a church a synagogue a bowling club you got buddies are you a loner do you have family to rely on because uh, that's very important mm-hmm. and overall. You get the little feel of a patient. And in 15 minutes, plus a lot of other kind of related questions and examination, it's focused. And you can do some very fancy integrative cardiology, or you can do maybe five, six basics in the model I'm in and still make a big difference. You're probably getting 80% of it done. So, I mean, I have a conversation with every single patient, and they know when they're coming in now who they're going to see that. A little bit about um, the power of uh, vegetables and fruits and nuts and seeds and spices, and they're going to G-bombs, as uh, our good friend Joel Furman says, mm-hmm. greens and beans and onions and mushrooms and berries. I mean, they're going to get that. They're going to get their homework list of watching Forks Over Knives or reading a little Mind Body Green or reading a couple books that I like to promote. And um, I do use, you know, whether you want to call them supplements, vitamins, nutraceuticals, mm-hmm. and, you know... I find that audience is very receptive. I can't even think of a patient that didn't welcome the option of uh, not getting a new prescription drug. And I'm, I use prescription drugs. I mean, but if they're already on two blood pressure medicines and the option is the third one or talk to them about magnesium or coenzyme Q10 mm-hmm. or theanine, which is a great uh, kind of anxiety reducer and lowers blood pressure or green tea, drinking it or green tea capsules and such, um, I found that patients really, really like that option, that I've not thrown the baby out with the bathwater, but the toolbox is bigger Mm -hmm. in terms of choices. And um, I find them very adherent to it. I mean, when I see them back, a lot have done their homework and a lot have uh, gone out and actually purchased. I don't sell uh, vitamins to patients. I just let them go find them and give them some ideas. But, boy, it's it's made practice much more fun. It's Mm -hmm. given me many more. I mean, I was given the same drugs over and over and over to about five years ago, and they're wonderful little devices at times, but now it's just a real panoply. Any young trainee in medicine would find practice much more stimulating to go explore mind-body and nutrition and nutraceuticals and uh, infrared sauna and the whole host of things out there, recce and, you know, the whole uh, host of uh, the menu that really has a lot of evidence for it. Right. So have you had that experience with a patient where you kind of have that dramatic before and after angiogram that you see in Dr. Esselstyn's book or, or you've seen these kind of turnarounds? Well, I haven't had that because I don't, he, he recatheterized people as part of a research study. If my mm-hmm. patients are doing well, they don't go through a catheterization and uh, I don't, but I, I would make two observations. One, I know that taking a holistic approach and combining some Western and some Eastern and some mind-body, um, 
people definitely feel better. And in the world of congestive heart failure, if your grandma or your spouse or anybody listening has that very uh, serious cardiac condition where the heart may not be strong, uh, there is some powerful vitamin support that really is very similar to what an athlete might do to support mitochondrial function. You talk about mitochondrial biogenesis and mm-hmm. make those little powerhouses. Unbelievable responses of people where their heart is stronger, they're feeling better, they've got life back. I, I got this cute little, this is actually a cute little now 86-year-old woman who lives in uh, Great Neck, New York. I have never met her, but she was uh, a friend's mother and two years ago started a conversation. She was very sick, very near death. This woman is independent and running around, her heart strength. They were talking about doing heart surgery, and it's really probably one of my most amazing saves, although it was all digital advice, just uh, right. via emails and conversations and tell them what to buy. Um, I see that a lot. Um, and um, and as I say, the other is just uh, – so those are dramatic responses. And um, other probably you know, – I'm, I'm honest about the fact I've talked to – thousands of patients about their nutrition. I mean, I probably have 150 vegan patients that have decided to follow an Ornish and an Esselstyn, and I'm talking complete right. kind of uh, uh, submission to it. But mm-hmm. uh, most of them are eating much better, um, even if it's three salads a week instead of one or uh, right. a slice of tomato on their sandwich instead of none. And I mean, uh, I've, either, I've either guilted them or educated them or something to uh, lifestyle change, and that's exciting. Now, and that's with really rudimentary tools. I don't mm-hmm. have, a, I mean, with a dietitian to sit down with them or a real lifestyle change program, of which there's maybe ten or twenty around the country, and uh, only a few that are kind of vegan oriented. That you could really do some good stuff. This stuff works. There's no mm-hmm. question. It does. I mean, I get emails all the time from people that say, you know, I got off my. I got off my, my meds, you know, I never thought that that would happen. Yeah. And, you know, by making these simple changes and sticking to them and, you know, over time, like I've gotten off it, you yeah. know, I've avoided the OR, I've avoided all these things that I thought were just, I was destined for. So, uh, you know, my secret tool, if I can't reach out, cause we all know there's that field of behavior change therapy theory. And if somebody's in that first stage where they just don't want help. There's nothing. No, it's, you have to be you willing. You have to be at least a little open-minded. But if I find people are open-minded, you know, it's given them some educational tools and giving them some encouragement. But my real like uh, secret weapon is I talk to the guys about uh, the secret direction. Yeah. The that, that tends to penetrate the, the male yeah, audience. Please, let's not go there. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the tension is mounting in the room, but um, yeah, the uh, power of greens and blood vessels in general. But uh, forget about your heart; they really don't care so much about that. Let's talk about the sack. And uh, right. they, I, I draw this little picture on my prescription pad. I send them home with all this stuff. I blow through prescription pads, but the average heart artery is about the size of a number two pencil in diameter, and the average groin artery is about the size of a little stir you might find in a gin and tonic. Um, it's much smaller, and it doesn't take much plaque to clog that baby up. It doesn't right. take you take one more French fry or one more bite out of your uh, triple cheese Whopper or uh, one more uh, KFC bucket to uh, close that up, and they get that pretty quick. And yeah, it's the canary in the coal mine, really. It's yeah. uh, it's nature's first uh, alarm bell. That's right. Maybe if that's not working, uh, then there's we- more going on. Weeding out the weak ones, they can't reproduce or something, but it's usually uh, after childbearing age and. And the and the great news is lifestyle change affects that dramatically and quickly. I mean, Esselstyn's mm-hmm. program within two three weeks, uh, many people uh, experienced increased ability and interest in sex. Uh, Ornish reported it right away. That you don't have to cause. And you asked, have I seen plaques regress and reverse? Uh, the data out of all those studies and just clinical observation is 
arteries can get healthier with still having plaque in them. They can get some blood doesn't clot as easily with eating greens and beans and such. Um, arteries don't spasm and constrict, and that can take two, three weeks to see those results and actually the, the, the ability of arteries to relax. It's all nitric oxide, which I'm sure you've mm-hmm. read a little bit about in yeah. terms of you know athletic performance. And uh, you change your diet and put some, uh, you know, you start chewing some greens in your mouth, you make nitric oxide right away. If you choose meat uh, with nitrates, it doesn't happen, but it happens with greens. And if you bolster your diet, I mean, watermelon is a nitric oxide powerhouse and pine nuts is a nitric oxide powerhouse. Rhubarb is a nitric oxide powerhouse. And uh, you can really enhance sexual performance with a plant-strong or plant-complete diet very quickly. And, you know, mm-hmm. you'll get their attention. Yeah. yeah. Well, it it's it never ceases to amaze me how resilient the human body is. I mean, two to three weeks, that's like nothing. No. You know, it, you just make these simple changes and, and almost immediately you can see results. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. absolutely true. Yeah. And that's why it's like we said, the glucation or take a meekation. Uh, it doesn't take years to get the sense that you're feeling better. Uh, people, right. people get it pretty quick. Yeah. I think it's about just getting people used to being more in touch with how they feel and monitoring that, like paying attention. You know, I think at least for me and my personal experience when I was eating horribly and not treating myself, I just got used to feeling lousy all the time and that was normal. And it was just, well, this is the way that it is. And to actually realize like, oh, it doesn't have to be this way and to take stock of that. You know, if you have the willingness to do that, you know, you can change a lot, you know, and not just your health. I mean, it affects everything. You know, you change that and then suddenly the way you see the world is different and your mood is different and then you're functioning different differently in your relationship and your profession and suddenly doors are open you know it's like it affects everything yeah so uh, it's powerful stuff it is um you were talking about uh nutraceuticals and supplements what are some of the i mean you touched on a few but what what are some of the ones you know co uh coq10 you talked about yeah probably um, if i had you know i take a lot Uh, i've studied the field i take many more than i did five years ago but um probably close to 30 to 40 individual supplements uh, every day. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Um, I feel great. I don't know why I feel great, and I haven't done a, you know, a scientific trial. But in my patients, I try not to overwhelm them, and we might creep up to 5 to 10. But I like to start with 3 or 4 or 5. And then the cardiac patients, CoQ10 is just the foundation. Coenzyme Q10 is powerful antioxidant, uh, important in every cell in your body in the mitochondria to make energy, to make ATP. So if you're an athlete, it's important, mm-hmm. although it's not 100% certain how much CoQ10 enhances athletic performance. The studies are a little bit all over the map. But in uh, cardiac patients and patients on cholesterol medicine, I mean, it's another travesty. Hospital diet is a travesty. And the fact that we don't automatically tell patients if they're taking Lipitor or Zocor to take CoQ10. In other countries, it is automatic. So that's always my my base. Vitamin D has come on. Mm -hmm. Um, Easy test to do. If you're a strict vegan, do it with mushrooms uh, and other vegan sources. You don't really care. Most of the vitamin D3 is not vegan, but it's a healthful thing, so it's for you to struggle if it's okay or not. I don't have any problem with it in my own body to take D3. Um, you know, blood pressure, bone strength, probably mental function, diabetic control. Um, I like a potent multivitamin in my patients. Very controversial topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't go to Harvard and debate the chief of medicine and absolutely get him down in a... Uh, Full Nelson uh, for a count of 10 on the topic, but um, a, a good natural-based... Actually, there's a, there's a scientific theory that taking a couple multivitamins before every meal 
for the average American because meals are inflammatory and meals are mm-hmm. oxidative stress and meals are artery unfriendly times. If you can flood your blood either by eating a lot of greens with every meal. So if that's a strategy that I teach my patients. So you're not going to eat like me, have a salad with your burger, have an avocado with your fried chicken, have a uh, smoothie with your uh, ribs or something. At least to buffer the buffer it. acidic and, yeah, the acidic inflammation burden, producing. Inflammatory burden, right. oxidative stress burden. <clears throat> Really cool science, but a multivitamin probably can do the same thing if somebody isn't uh, real, real good about all that. And the the controversy with multivitamins has to do with bioavailability and the impact of these nutrients when they're extracted from the whole food, and whether that really has an impact. Is that is that what the the, controversy pivots around? Yeah, it pivots around that, and some science, some actual research studies that haven't been positive, with even a few that have said it may be harmful. Generally, low quality, kind of artificially produced multivitamins. Um, you know, uh, if you're familiar with the vitamin E, there's eight kinds of vitamin E. Every drugstore one dollar bottle of mm-hmm. multivitamins has one of the eight forms of vitamin E, and nature gives us eight forms of vitamin E. So, better brand multivitamins will you know cover the spectrum and probably are much better. Antioxidant right, and when you eat like foods that are fortified, like breakfast cereals and yeah. things like that, they generally have the lowest sort of cheapest version of any yeah, of those right. things, right? Yeah, there's a, you know, folic acid, as long as we're talking about vitamins, was a was a breakthrough in terms of uh, uh, spina bifida prevention in pregnant moms. But it is a great example of the cheapest, probably least effective form of that particular B vitamin. And folate it comes from greens. When you eat greens, you get the whole spectrum of folate. When you take uh, it in your breakfast cereal, you're getting an artificial a form of folic acid that has to go through about five chemical reactions to finally get into the body and do its uh, do its work. There's actually some concern that that portion of the folic acid in your breakfast cereal that doesn't make it down to folate may actually promote cancer, and uh, it may be great during the pregnant phase. And so, all cheap multivitamins have folic acid, and all mm-hmm. good multivitamins, if you notice, will say folate. A subtle difference, and the public doesn't know it. So. Anyways, I'm I'm big on my cardiac patients having a good antioxidant base and a good multivitamin. And if, um, if for somebody who's interested in maybe exploring supplements, I mean, where would you go to buy these things for to make sure that you're getting the quality versions? Yeah, you know, I'd encourage people, um, and these are all things I'm saying with no financial ties that I have. There's an organization out of Florida called Life Extension, and they have a website lef.org, Life Extension Foundation.org. And they have a magazine. You can sign up as a member. I think it's $40 a year, and you get a magazine once a month that is just so instructive. It's kind of like Dr. Grieger, nutritionfacts.org, of mm-hmm. the vitamin world. Is there a bias? Yeah, they sell 300 kinds of vitamins, so most of their articles indirectly reflect something. Are about how sell, good their but, products are. But the science is so interesting, and, and that's a good source. And I, I think mm-hmm. their vitamins are good. Um, you know, a lot of the, the bigger chains, Whole Food does a real good job, and I think the people are real you know, intelligent and other chains like that. Again, I don't have any particular one to promote over the others, but I don't think gas stations and the national mm-hmm. chain drugstores are the better places uh, to be buying. I mean, it's like so much, and, and maybe in our environment more than ever, quality. I mean, eat more, spend more, eat less is a Michael Pollan statement. Mm-hmm. And um, similarly, it probably applies to uh, if you're spending money on vitamins, you probably ought to ask a few questions, but probably 10% of the 
people I see taking vitamins get that or have been advised about that. Right. All right. So what, quickly, what other yeah, what other um, supplements do you, you know, think kind of top that list? If we, we talked about briefly a syndrome congestive heart failure, that that's its own unique little mix. Magnesium would be on my list. Magnesium right. for all. I mean, I'm uh, United, United States that. of magnesium, right? Uh, you know, if we eat tons of greens, we're getting a lot of magnesium and nuts and seeds and Brazil nuts and such. But most of us don't. So magnesium is important in about 300 really critical chemical reactions in the body that are helpful. And um, I see people all the time, whether it's blood pressure, skip beats, uh, palpitations and such. I put them on magnesium and they come back and they say five things are better, not the thing mm-hmm. you put me on. I'm pooping and I'm sleeping. Cause it's sleep is a good. big one. really very helps with sleep. And uh, migraines get better and um, really pretty amazing. And it's something you can take other than maybe a dialysis patient has to be careful. I mean, anybody could take magnesium and take it for really the rest of their life. Or just bump up your green intake and you'll get down the road there too, but it's an easy easy one. Um, you know, the heart failure patients uh, take carnitine and taurine. Mm-hmm. I really like some of these adaptogens, and maybe your audience is familiar with that or not. Sure. You know, the stress level in life, stress level of the extreme athlete, a stress level of person working hard and raising kids, just basically most everybody, uh, stressing out our cortisol system. So... I step out and put a lot of people on ashwagandha, a lot of people on L-theanine. Uh, ashwagandha is a mm-hmm. Ayurvedic herb that's uh, widely available. Um, Explain what an ad- adaptogen is for yeah. those who might not, not be it's, familiar with that term. It sounds magical, but I just uh, when I finished lunch with uh, Jason two weeks ago, I went to a um, actually a lecture by David Wolf, who you're probably mm-hmm. familiar with, sure. and uh, at the center he was talking. And I bought a book on adaptogens, so I just finished it. It's the concept that there's certain herbs and plants in this world that somehow just smooth out the roller coaster ride of our cortisol, our adrenaline, our stress, our anxiety, and without being addictive and without being uh, Valium kind of drugs, they do make you just a little calmer during the day without any sedating effect. And they're all from the botanical world, and it's really cool. And there's just thousands of years of uh, experience in some of the cultures and a fair amount of research. So. I mentioned ashwagandha, an Ayurvedic Indian drug uh, slash herb that's been used forever, but you just buy it in a health food store. I use a lot of that. L-theanine is from green tea, lowers blood pressure, reduces anxiety and stress. Uh, people come back. I use it in 89-year-olds. They come back. I'm mm-hmm. sleeping. I just feel just a little calmer. I mean, it's a wonderful little thing. Um, cordyceps is a mushroom that's mm-hmm. an adaptogen. Um, I love cordyceps. Yeah, cordyceps, good stuff. You know, yeah. for adrenal fatigue and you know, the athlete preparation for uh, for athletes, it's fantastic. Know. And then just to finish up the conversation, probably probiotics, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you know you've studied. And uh, but our guts are just being bombarded with processed foods and trans fats and sugars and antibiotics uh, and uh, uh, all kinds of uh, toxic events with you know lactose intolerant, the gluten thing, which is killing our guts and causing leaky gut and probiotics, whether you get them through fermented foods, which is a wonderful way to get them and mm-hmm. one that I've increasingly put in my diet, um, or whether you're taking a good quality probiotic in addition or kefir or uh, kombucha or whatever you like to do for right. it. But um, probiotics, uh, it's a little hard to assess if somebody's feeling better with them, but it just it's the science of what's going on in their gut is so strong. That's the whole conference I'm here about this weekend uh, is gut health. And, oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to really have taken off just in the last year. I, st- I started yeah. seeing articles about you know microbial ecology, gut ecology, like way more than I did when I was researching my book and kind of writing a little bit about that. But now it seems to really be a hot topic. Yeah, it is. And um, 
in cardiology is still very infant. Uh, mm-hmm. I have no doubt if a study were done, you could document in patients some advantage. I mean, the hospital patients, put them, I mean, put them on a probiotic in the CCU, they'd bounce back quicker. There's a lot of reason to believe that. But uh, it's not really been studied in almost any syndrome in my field, but in so many others. And, you know, like you say, what we're learning in diabetics and obesity and depression and anxiety and ADHD and the effect of your gut flora. So go out there and get yourself a good quality probiotic and eat some sauerkraut and eat some pickles and uh, right. kimchi and uh, uh, you'll, you'll be helping your body. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. I think there's this idea that that probiotics mean automatically mean kefir or yogurt or yeah. something like that, but there's plenty of non-dairy versions. Oh, for so sure. if you're plant-based or want to maintain your plant-based diet, that doesn't mean that you can't take pro- probiotics. There's plenty that are available that are non-dairy. Uh, absolutely. Just, you know, get some, uh, some pickled beets and That's anything, right. anything permanent. It will have, you know, billions and billions mm-hmm. of colonies, to quote Carl Sagan. Mm-hmm. Billions and billions. Billions. Where do you come down on the... Um, the sort of juicing and smoothie blending kind of concept of eating. You know, there's, I don't know if I'd call it a controversy, but there's different points of view on whether this is advisable or, or healthy. And I certainly have strong opinions on it, but yeah. would love to hear your thoughts. Well, you know, I really haven't hung my academic career on it. Uh, it's so unusual for cardiologists I, uh, to talk about juicing and smoothie making. I'm little notorious in Detroit because I go on TV shows and I bring my blender and I bring uh-huh. my uh, my bullet and I bring my uh, Breville and I kind of demonstrate sometimes. But you don't have dreadlocks. I know. <laughs> what am I doing? I don't have a vegetable as my middle yeah. name. But um, it's been fun and uh, really fat, sick, and nearly dead, you know, kind of gave me the push about three years ago when I watched that. And I've met Joe Cross, who is just so dynamic and awesome. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the focus of that uh, cult video, a wonderful video. For the, so, yeah, for the, for the listener who's not familiar, it was a very popular documentary um, and oh. it just amazing. Everybody needs to watch that. I, mean, I think you can get it on Netflix or yeah, yeah. any video yeah. rental place, yeah. Amazon. Fat, sick, and nearly dead, really. And unlike Morgan Spurlock and uh, Super Size Me, which made you gross but didn't give you any tools, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead gives you some really good tools to make some lifestyle changes. And again, that uh, it motivated me. So in terms of your question, um, you know, I, I, I adapted this to some degree from Dean Ornish, but I mean, in the spectrum of Taco Bell, KFC, and Burger King to eating uh, raw, plant-based, um, uh, living food kind of diet of Brian Clements, Hippocrates Health Institute, a very broad spectrum. I think smoothies and juices fit wonderfully towards the right end of the spectrum, as as uh, facilitators, I don't do them, and I don't recommend to my patients to go mm-hmm. do a two month juice fast. I think it's fine for anybody to go do a three day one, but I'd much rather see them three, four, five days a week learn to juice as a 
way to get more phytonutrients uh, in their body in a simple way. I think you know, the the bullet smoothie kind of breakfast out the door. If and I actually will do that too on my prescription pad. I tell them what to buy. I mean, go to vega dot com. I got to go check out mm-hmm. your uh, your plant based powder. Uh, now that I've learned about that, I need to do that on my checklist and all. Oh, but whatever it is, and you know, tell them to get uh, the the ingredients to make a smoothie in the morning. And I think they're, they're all wonderful tools. Um, you know, I'm sure some of your listeners who are deeply into plant-based living as you do, I mean, my wife and I, we we know when we're ready to juice because we just both feel it. You feel the, it, the, yeah. The, you know, I just, I've had enough of, even though everything we eat is on the healthy end of the spectrum, there's just something about freshly freshly juiced uh, nutrition into the body that we just both feel better in 30 yeah. minutes. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's, quite honestly, there's nothing that I do that makes me feel instantly great other than blending or juicing fresh greens like i can feel it immediately you know and i just for me it's you know my research is done you know i know i know the impact that it has on how my energy levels and my mood and all that kind of thing so i guess there i mean the, the the argument against it it seems to me is that if you tell somebody you know, go for it, then these, ju- these juices or these blends will quickly devolve into coconut ice cream and peanut butter. And, you know, they become very calorie dense, uh, and people don't realize how many calories they're taking in when they're, when they're drinking this stuff, if they're not doing it kind of, you know, making sure that it's, you know, kale based as opposed to dairy based or something right. like that. I mean, is that, I think that's part of it. And then there's this other argument that is kind of part of the Esselstyn, um, perspective, which is that um, you're not masticating your food, right. and and so you're not giving your body the chance to properly digest these nutrients. I mean, uh, is that fair to say? Yeah, there is. Um, there's a couple comments on chewing, and uh, one is that um, there are people that advise you chew your smoothie and you chew your juice, just like you see some wine mm-hmm. connoisseurs chew their wine uh, as they uh, sample it, but. There is a very powerful process of chewing and activating salivary, you know, um, fluids that certainly when you're eating whole foods and plant foods, uh, digestion begins in the mouth and chewing and taking time um, really does aid uh, grabbing all the nutrition out of plant-based eating and mm-hmm. starts that pathway to nitric oxide and better our artery health. Very interesting pathway uh, beginning in the mouth. Um, uh, and... I, I can't tell you that I know that I chew my juice mm-hmm. <laughs> and my smoothie, but my smoothies can be pretty crunchy with all the cacao nibs and everything. So um, I've not heard Dr. Esselstyn, you know, speak specifically on that, but you, you can fall into a trap of very high calorie, uh, uh, dense uh, smoothies and, uh, you know, just got to educate people to stay away right. uh, from 1200 calorie smoothies for breakfast. They're not going to achieve their maximum potential. Um and, you know, and that argument itself is smoothie better, is juice better. I mean, I can't resolve that. I, I think they're both great tools in a sort of difficult society to try and grab good nutrition. So uh, I try right. to let people do both. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, I think that, you know, people grab onto this argument. Meanwhile, they're eating a terrible diet. It's sort of like, well, you know, watch Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead and right. see these incredible, you know, incredibly dramatic health turnaround. And, you know, there's there's something going on there. So anyway. Watch that movie, experiment on yourself, I guess. I agree. Is the best thing that you can do. Um, a couple other things. You know, one of the other questions that I get all the time is, 
you know, why, why are you, you know, why a hundred percent plant-based? Like what's wrong with moderation? Like, why can't, you know, why don't you just go and have a steak every once in a while or what's wrong with that? You know? And I feel like the, what's really behind that question is tell me that what I'm doing is okay. Or give me a compelling reason why it's not like, why do I have to be a hundred percent or, you know, I guess it's, I guess my question really is, you know, how do you deal with the moderation issue? A couple of thoughts come to mind. One is, I mean, if you're coming at it from the ethics, there's never going to be an acceptable time to, uh, you know, torture an animal and confine it to the kind of terrible existence that it's going to have in the majority of uh, animal farming that occurs in this country around the world. Mm-hmm. I just can never tolerate it. And uh, if you're coming at it from the environmental standpoint, you probably come to the same conclusion with 10 billion people on our planet pretty soon. We're not... Uh, going to have any room for using all the lands for grains for animals. We're going to need them for human beings uh, and grains and grasses and such. From a health standpoint, I'm pretty soft on my patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking for change. I'm looking for progress. I'm looking for advancing down that spectrum. And some of them will jump right to the end point and be a uh, disciple of Dr. Ornish you know, pretty quick. And uh, if they got serious heart disease, I'm pushing them to make that decision pretty quick. But for the average person... I'm, uh, there's that phenomenon now, a book called uh, Vegan Before Six, VB6. Yeah, Mark, Mark Bittman's yeah, Mark book. Bittman. I mean, would the world be a better place if there was a widely adopted strategy? We'd be two-thirds of the way there in terms of both health and environment and animal rights and the whole thing. Um, I don't know for sure that two or three meals a week that fall off what you're doing and I'm doing are necessary. I mean, it's so much better than the average right. You know, three meals a day with cheese and three meals a day with meat and uh, certainly every meal with dairy uh, as a main liquid. I mean, it's so much better that I give people some permission on your birthday and on your special days if you need to. Mm -hmm. Now, as you know, and I know when you make that transition from the uh, unhealthy vegetarian and vegan with soy hot dogs and chick nuggets and soy ribs, and when you really get into whole food, single ingredient, plant-based eating, I don't I don't want those things anymore, and I don't right. I see my patients making that transition. Yeah, I but, think you have to. Um, you know what I always say is like, listen, just if you started your morning every day with a kale smoothie or a kale Vitamix blend, or you know, okay. like a green, you know, something green as opposed to bacon and eggs, if you just made that one shift, you'll start to feel different, and then you're on your own path. You know, you'll start to connect with your body more, and then you're going to start to want to, you know incorporate better things in your, in your life and you have your own journey, you know, and for a lot of people, that's the best way to do it. But I think also if somebody says, well, what's wrong with moderation? I think a lot of times people's idea of, you know, moderation isn't reality. Like I'm like, all right, well, let's talk about like, let's map out exactly what you're eating on a daily basis. And let's see if that actually is moderate or isn't it? And more often than not, it's actually not that moderate. <laughs> a food diary can be. And I, I sympathize. I'm not like being holier than thou about yeah, it. Like I'm, right. I'm, you know, I, I have, you know, harbor great denial for many years about lots of my habits. So, yeah. oh, I agree. And you know, I don't know that every listener on your show is already on the vegan end of the spectrum, but I already mentioned a strategy that I find appealing, which is, you know. If, you, if you're not ready yet to make the transition, just be sure, just like the American food plate, 
from the government says half the plate is fruits and vegetables and half the plate is other things, protein and grains. Strive for that. If you're going to have a burger, be sure there's a tomato and a lettuce or a slice of avocado. This really cool study came out in March that uh, a hospital-prepared hamburger caused arterial damage within two, three hours like the egg McMuffin study of 15, 16 years ago. And a thick slice of avocado on the burger repeated study did not cause the same degree of arterial damage. And Mm -hmm. other studies have shown antioxidant vitamins. Other studies have shown uh, a glass of green juice with a a meat-based meal. So there are some strategies as you're making your journey. Um, And they're all going to result in the same uh, equation, more vegetable, more vegetable, more vegetable, uh, even if you haven't reduced your animal load yet. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, or you can just skip the burger, and then you don't have to worry about it. And uh, then they're going to feel as good as you feel. (laughs) That's right. We don't want that, though. (laughs) We we can't have everyone signing up for Ultraman. A revolution (laughs) of wellness breaking out. That's right, man. What are some of the other kind of common things that that, uh, your patients come to you and they they struggle with in terms of changing their habits or, you know, the kind of common pitfalls and how how you address them? Well, probably in the lifestyle arena, you know, time for exercise, commitment to exercise is a big one. And uh, a lot of them aren't going to find 45 to 60 minutes, four or five times a week to make kind of the magic 150 to 250 minutes uh, a week the American Heart Association talks about. So, I mean, this, uh, I don't know if your readers know, but the kind of the Tabata protocols, these high intensity, shorter exercise protocols that have got some science behind mm-hmm. them. Um, telling them that, you know, a couple times a week, if you just got 15, 20 minutes and, and kind of instruct them what the protocol is, Dr. Tabata, a Japanese cardiologist, I mean, 20 seconds, kill yourself, 10 seconds slower, 20 mm-hmm. seconds, kill yourself, has proven to be a, uh, a good a, uh, recommendation that a lot of them adapt. I'm recommending uh, yoga as a therapy that just is uh, – uh, scientifically proven to uh, lower blood pressure, lower heart rhythm abnormalities, help with cholesterol control, and just seeing people blossom as they get into some of these Tai Chi if they're a little less uh, physically able. The tai, mm-hmm. tai Chi has been studied in cardiac patients. It's absolutely wonderful way to uh, lower stress and lower blood pressure. So those kind of things have been uh, very helpful. Um, I mentioned earlier infrared sauna. It's kind of like a hidden jewel out there. The, the Japanese have uh, studied these special uh, dry heat saunas that have uh, uh, ceramide kind of heating elements. They're not the typical uh, uh, little box in the corner that some of us grew up with in dry saunas, but spending 15, 20 minutes at high heat, even if you're a very sick cardiac patient, and then uh, wrapping yourself in a towel and cooling off for half an hour actually has some of the same beneficial effects on arteries as a big glass of green juice. Very Interesting. I've never heard that before. Yeah, no. Um, there's probably 25 scientific studies out of Japan that are well-regarded. Um, and it's uh, something that for under $1,000 or a couple thousand dollars, you can actually buy a nice infrared sauna for your home. Many places, I'm sure, uh, around L.A. for 20 bucks, half an hour, you can go uh-huh. in and see one. Now, if you're a cardiac patient, you probably want to – yeah, I can't tell you to check with your doctor because I doubt your doctor will have any clue about it. I wrote an article about it on Mind Body Green earlier this year. I'll put a link um, in the show yeah, notes to yeah, that. Yeah, an infrared sauna. But um, it's not uh, new age. It's uh, it's right in the mainstream of medicine. It's just a hidden pearl. So that's been wow. a fun one. Yeah. And so what is, it, what's, what is it that makes it different from a typical sauna? Uh, infrared sauna is dry, but it uh, the wavelength penetrates the skin much deeper uh, with the heating element. So you actually heat up internally pretty quickly, and the protocol for cardiac patients the sauna is already at high heat. You go in for 15 minutes and you're done. So it's a quick 
uh, entry. And, you know, unlike the signs on many saunas that cardiac patients shouldn't participate, particularly the uh, kind of whirlpool, uh, this has been studied. There's actually a fascinating study from Japan um, that actually suggests lifespan is enhanced by people that one, two, three times a week spend 15 minutes in this high heat infrared sauna. Hmm. So what is it biologically that's occurring? Yeah, there's um, some data that reduces inflammation and then endothelial function, the actual health of your arteries. Like I say, you don't have to necessarily clean every bit of plaque out of your arteries, but you do want your arteries to have healthy response to stress by relaxing mm-hmm. and that elasticity. Elasticity. And actually, infrared sauna, they've studied that and it improves endothelial function along with the rest of the healthy lifestyle spectrum. Mm-hmm. That gets, I mean, you hear, as an athlete, you hear, well, if you want to reduce infl- inflammation, get in the ice bath. So, what is it? So, you know, ice bath, you know, helps you recover more quickly. Yeah, it helps you know, the muscles repair. So how does that might, mesh with the heat? It might be that difference between acute injury and acute inflammation and most of these chronic diseases. Oh, like chronic low-grade. Chronic, chronic gotcha. low-grade inflammation, which characterizes most heart conditions. So uh-huh. it, it, it may be that, you know, we're not looking to immediately suppress a sore knee from a 100-mile ride. But right. Just trying to get those arteries uh, a little bit more flexible. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. And, t- and talk to me, let's talk a little bit about mindfulness and mindful eating. Yeah, explain was, uh, explain what that is. Yeah, you know, so we haven't talked about it during this interview. Um, you know, the one that's, the uh, one experience that's often pointed to, there are these things called blue zones. Uh, Dan, mm-hmm. Dan Butner, a, uh, a writer for the National Geographic, uh, published that book about five years ago and looked at societies where people live on average longer than anywhere else in the world. Just fascinating research and um, Okinawa, an island in Japan, of course, is uh, the longest lived society in the world on average, more people over 100 than anywhere else. And they live by this principle that haribachibu, that you should leave the table 80% full, not 100% full, mm-hmm. or not like most of us, 150% full. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can't ever possibly get to uh, a habit of leaving the table 80% full unless you're mindful about it and thinking about it and evaluating both your hunger level when you last ate and what's on your plate and the size of your plate and the size of your fork and the size of your spoon and all the rest. So mindfulness has been now something that's been studied by some very interesting food psychologists, Brian Wansek and uh, um, David Kessler, a former head of the FDA, in a book called The End of Overeating. And um, it's strategies to sit down at a table with a sense of gratitude, perhaps with a moment reflecting on how the food got on your table and be thankful for those that uh, mm-hmm. did that. Uh, uh, there's times in our lives we're going to be able to achieve that kind of highest level and times that we're probably not uh, going to be so focused. And, um, and you know, not, not rushing through every meal with standing up while doing other work and with abandon, just being aware that food is such a fundamental healing element in our life um, and uh, and being aware of that start to finish. That part of that is chewing, and chewing is a strategy. Um, some people refer to it uh, uh, as Judaism, as a, mm-hmm. uh, the, the kind of the religious approach that slowly right. and carefully digesting chewing forever, and chewing yeah. forever, and everything can be taken to an extreme. Um, but being just, just uh, you know, in my tradition of uh, religious background, there's a prayer said before every meal. And, of course, there's many other religions that do that too. And that's just introducing a bit of mindfulness that mm-hmm. this is a little different than brushing your teeth and uh, clipping your nails. A meal is a, a medical event, a healing event, a uh, life celebration. And 
uh, if you can, you know, think about that once in a while, it may transform your life to better choices and maybe less calorie ingestion. And some of it are tricks. Uh, and I mentioned that in the article, they're not research I've done, but eating on a smaller plate, eating on a right. salad plate, not a dinner plate, eating with a salad fork or a salad or a soup spoon, uh, a teaspoon rather than a soup spoon, uh, has been studied. And you will eat a little bit less and a little bit slower. And uh, it's an easy thing anybody can grab onto right now. Yeah, I mean the thing with me is if it's if it's on my plate or in my bowl, like I'm finishing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like doesn't matter how much is in there. Like and I don't think about it. You know, I just uh, it's not done yet. I have to keep eating until it's all gone. So for me, it is you know I have to check myself to say, do I need to put this much on my plate or you know what am I actually doing? And you know I would say most of the time I'm on autopilot with that. Like you have to really marshal your consciousness to pay attention to that because our, you know i'm not wired that way and our society's not wired that way it's all about you know fast and cheap and quick and get it done so you can move on to the next thing no question yeah, so, one of the, uh, <clears throat> another just super easy strategy because so many of us eat meals out in restaurants all the time and you know the size of meals have just gone bananas um is to just ask right from the front give me half the meal and pack half up when you mm-hmm. see it's one of those platter meals so we just had our first cheesecake factory open in detroit and <laughs> it's being celebrated like we have just why did it take so long uh they couldn't find the right real estate because uh, there were people lined plenty up of real estate now people lined up around the store for days to be the first people in the cheesecake oh, factory and they have a 2100 calorie meal or something yeah. so if you're gonna go do that you're gonna have enough food for a week to Ask them to box up half of it, and you know, then you have two meals, but not mm-hmm. in one setting. So that's yeah. a simple strategy. Half the meal at Cheesecake Factory is still twice the meal you need, probably. It's, um, yeah, I again, I don't mean to pick on them specifically, but that's uh, from my hometown, been the talk of the town lately. That's interesting. And, uh, uh, they they pretty much win the calorie per meal award pretty close. Uh-huh. To Except for uh, what's that restaurant, the Heart Attack Grill, or yeah, yeah, well, they've, yeah, they've, 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 kind of, they've had a little controversy they, lately. Yeah, but they've uh, peaked, and uh, I think Darwin is uh, having his time with that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, just, it was too gross to really exist. Yeah, I think two people have died now. There was yeah. some, a guy sort of recently who had a heart heart attack, and after eating, what what, what is it? They challenge you to eat this preposterous cheeseburger yeah and, the uh, triple bypass the double <laughs> bypass the single bypass and if you're over 350 pounds you eat for free and i mean it's just, just this pridefulness over you know doing something that's so horrible for yeah, you yeah, you know where does that come from and what does that say about you know where we're at and and what we think is okay and fun yeah, you know just another addictive your work is that you'll yeah. be employed for a long time uh, i'm right not there. too i'm not too worried so. as you say just like healthy airports there are glimmers of hope uh, all over the place but oh yeah uh, not time to rest yet. How does it? Um, how is your interaction with other cardiologists in your field that are maybe a little bit more traditional? Do you get resistance? Are they interested or curious about what you're doing, or how does that dynamic function for you? Well, you know, I see an impact. Um, medical partners in practice that I've had 20 years ago saw me eating in the doctor's dining room from the salad bar or garden burger or something. Um, which wasn't the norm. We was French uh, French fried macaroni and cheese was the norm in the doctor's mm-hmm. dining room, and still shows up once in a while. But most of them, I've seen them. You know, look at the the, the revolution has started, and you can't help but know that this is important and much more obvious than it was. So, I see a lot of them. I never got real derision, but I was an odd bird, and now I'm not so alone in my uh, 
activities. We actually have probably three or four vegan cardiologists in the city of Detroit, which is mm-hmm. refreshing. Um, but frankly, if you ask me, do I know any other vegan physicians? I don't think I can name a fifth one. They just happen to be all cardiologists. Um, but but in, in, and my physicians that send me patients is I add in vitamins and all because it's an area that's controversial. I you know they haven't called me to task, but I'm pretty mindful using that word again mm-hmm. that I'm uh, trying to balance my medical knowledge and what's right for patients and not get the reputation as uh, the herbalist who right. uh, has lost. I mean, I live by a statement: be open minded, but not so open minded that your brains fall out. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'm careful. Uh, both because I still believe there are attributes of Western medicine that we don't want to throw away. But um, it's a tight walk. But honestly, for anybody who might be listening now in the healthcare fields, the growth industry is in the wellness sector and the mm-hmm. excitement's in the wellness sector and the right answer's in the Absolutely. wellness sector. So, I mean, don't shy back. Um, it's not 1980 anymore. It's not your grandpa's Buick. It's our Cadillac. It's the time to get educated in functional medicine, root causes, lifestyle medicine, um, and know the tools that are available. And I think uh, we're going to see uh, really great results coming out of all this. Prevent, not stent. Prevent, not stent. That's yeah. right, baby. Good, man. Well, that was great. Uh, thank you. I think yeah. we can, we, that's a good place to wrap it up, I think. Uh, it's fine. Call to action. You know? I, I mean, I really do believe the revolution is beginning. I mean, in the medical world, I'll just say as we, and I do want to thank you for this, but yeah. I have um, been very self-honest ridden kind of a tight rope about how crazy to be in this and yet mm-hmm. maintaining what I think is a very excellent reputation in my town and uh, still invited to speak at standard academic events and uh, wacko juicing events and mm-hmm. and all the rest. I mean, I, uh, I've had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Esselstyn and Dr. Campbell and John Sally, NBA vegan extraordinaire mm-hmm. and such, and uh, I've had the whole spectrum, but maintaining that balance. But it's time for us to take all this knowledge and you know start uh, demanding change in the medical world uh, for sure. I mean, we need absolutely. And, and I'm just I've got enough gray hairs on my head that I just can't tolerate it. Anymore. Can't wait so any longer. I've got to grab my colleagues around the country and say, you know, this this needs to change for the uh, for the right message, for the honest message, for the uh, ethical message, and for the most importantly, for the best outcome of patients. So. I think we'll see in the next 10 years juicing bars in hospital lobbies and smoothie bars in hospital lobbies and, um, so. um, you know, and hopefully the sweet bar is gone. And uh, we had Ben and Jerry's in my hospital for five years. I won that battle. Ben and Jerry's mm-hmm. shouldn't be in the hospital lobby just like McDonald's. So I think we're going to see some good changes. But uh, anybody out there, let's 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 start it up. Let's yeah, it it's all about we got to do it together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and uh you know, you are changing lives and you are an inspiration in your field and, and with the people that you work with. I applaud what you're doing and I think it's really important for people like yourself who, you know, have an MD or have stature in their community to look at the science and also look at what's working and what's not and translate all of that in a, and communicate that in a way that's accessible to people, you know, in a trusted source like yourself. So it's it's powerful and you know that that is uh, creates a responsibility for you too, and you're yeah. acquitting yourself quite well on that. Wow. So thank you for thank what you, you do. Thank you. It's <clears throat> been a pleasure.
Like yeah, that. absolutely. Uh, so if people want to find out more about you, your website is Dr. Joel Kahn, right? Is Actually, that Dr. Dr. J. Kahn, K A H N dot com. Yeah, right. And uh, where else can people find you if they want to? Oh. Well, Mind Body Green, they can search your name. You've written like right. 25 articles on mindbodygreen.com. I've got another one coming out this week. It'll be, uh, I think, a popular one. But yes, Mind Body Green would be great. I will in February. Actually, starting in October, I'm very grateful. Readers Digest has named me America's Holistic Heart Doc. And I'll be oh, wow. Nice. Congrats. I'm very excited. We'll be having a monthly column. Every How'd month. you swing that? Well, I have a book coming out published yeah. by Readers Digest in February. Oh, okay, so cool. So what's I wanted to, I wasn't going to leave without talking about the book. So tell me what it's called and, and what, what's going to be in it. Uh, as of this moment, I would say it's going to be called Heart Doctor Secrets. That's kind mm-hmm. of the orientation, uh, peeling the onion about starting with nutrition and fitness and mind body and supplements and sleep and on and on. Um, but it's it's within the medical tradition. It's just little pearls that uh, haven't really been emphasized, but are part of the equation. And you know, people can pick and choose whether they're patients or just healthy people. Some new habits. Um, I think it's going to be a fun book. I just didn't see another book out there. Uh, it's, there's not going to be recipes. It's not. Right. I'm not doing uh, Dr. Ornish's work or Dr. Esselstyn's work, but it, it's got a strong vegan voice to it, and um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of um, a lot of mind body. So uh, I'm very excited that it'll come out. Uh, so that's great. It's coming out in February. February 2014. It's yeah, that's it's exciting. coming up. It's been. I told my wife last year. She's been beating at me. Write something. So uh, yeah. set a deadline and. <laughs> I got, Good. I well, got it done. So. Maybe, hopefully, you'll come back on the show when the book comes out. Okay. And we could talk a little bit more in depth about the book if you're open to that. I'd love to. That'd be, be great. Good. That'd be great. Cool. And if you're in Michigan, they, people should just make an appointment with you and come in and see you, right? I think they should. I have offices everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, you do. You're monopolizing uh, the greater Detroit area, aren't you? Uh, well, you have, do you have offices outside of the Detroit area, too? Um, no, suburbs. Sure. Yeah, they're in the suburbs, suburbs around, Detroit, around Detroit. But right. Nobody's too far away from me. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, I've kind of franchised my practice around. <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. Yeah. Well, thanks. thanks for taking the time. Okay. Anything else you want to say? Feel good? Uh, hi, Mom. Love you. All right, good. We'll end it there. All right, everybody. Thanks. Peace. Plants. Yeah.